Welcome to The Markets. Hello again, Orion Samuelson joined by Max Armstrong for our weekly get-together looking at Wall Street and agricultural commodities for the week that ended today. Oh, and I guess we'll begin this with a reminder that next Monday the markets will be closed, trading holiday for the observance of President's Day in the United States. So keep in mind, markets will not open until Tuesday. We always begin by looking at the Wall Street numbers for the day. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 65 points, ending the week at 25,103. The S&P 500 higher, up 1.85, and it closed at 2,707. The Nasdaq closed up 10.5 points at 72.98. And for the week, the S&P rose five hundredths of a percent. The Dow added 17 hundredths of a percent, and the Nasdaq gained nearly half a percent for the week. But looking at the final trading day this week, and what happened today? Well, the benchmark S&P 500 index, the Nasdaq edged higher, snapping a two-day losing streak as positive corporate results offset the lingering skepticism over the U.S. and China reaching a trade agreement before the March 1st deadline. Shares of Coty, Mattel, and Motorola Solutions jumped after the company's reported better-than-expected quarterly results. And in addition, shares of Electronic Arts, which plunged on Wednesday of this week after the company's quarterly results, surged today after the video game publisher said that its game Apex Legends had attracted 10 million players in three days. Electronic Arts and Motorola Solutions were among the top boosts to the S&P 500 today. But earlier in the day, the stock market dragged as trade concerns continued to weigh on investors' sentiment. I wonder if we'll ever get through talking about the U.S.-China trade situation when we report any kind of business or agriculture, because now the president on Thursday said he did not plan to meet the Chinese president before the deadline set for reaching an agreement. U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer and Treasury Secretary Stephen Munchen will travel to Beijing for principal-level meetings and talks on February 14 and 15. Asset Management in New York said, the uh, chief investor said, these are not indices that are showing extreme investor concern at this point. Now, the S&P 500 has risen more than 15% from 20-month lows that it hit in December, and it's spurred by a dovish Federal Reserve report and largely positive fourth-quarter earnings, as well as hopes for an eventual U.S.-China trade deal. So that's what happened today, and in the oil market today, Oil futures edged higher but ended the week with a loss on renewed concerns about slowing global demand and after the dollar posted its best week in six months. 
West Texas crude futures gained only eight cents a barrel today, settling at $52.72. And Brent crude reached uh, a gain of 39 cents a barrel, closing out at two cents over $62. So as we look ahead to the next week, the earnings report season is certainly not over. But before that gets looked at next week, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell expected to testify on U.S. monetary policy and the economy before the House Financial Services Committee on Wednesday. And then he is scheduled to speak on economic development in high-poverty rural communities on Tuesday. Labor Department likely to report on Wednesday the consumer price index rose a tenth uh, of a percent in January after a negative reading the previous month. Thursday, the Labor Department expected to report producer price index for final demand up a tenth of a percent in January. And uh, then, of course, we'll get the unemployment claims report also on Thursday. That same day, we'll get retail sales data as well. So it's going to be a busy week from the standpoint of government reports. But now let's look at some of the earnings reports that will be out next week. Cisco Systems expected to report an increase in second quarter revenue on Wednesday. American International Group expected to report fourth quarter results after the markets close on Wednesday. On Deck Capital expected to report an increase in net profit for the fourth quarter on Tuesday. And NVIDIA Corporation has already announced half a billion dollar cut in its fourth quarter revenue estimate that's scheduled to be released on Thursday. They cited weak demand for the gaming chips in China and lower than expected data center sales. Canada's Bombardier expected to report fourth quarter earnings before the opening bell on Thursday. Enbridge Incorporated expected to post a larger fourth quarter profit before markets open on Friday. And again, a full week of uh, speaking appearances by some of the governors of the Federal Reserve. Deer and Company is scheduled to report its first quarter earnings in pre-market hours on Friday. Company expected to report higher profits, but investors will watch out for comments on the impact of the ongoing trade war, as well as the outlook for coming quarters. Avon Products expected to post a decline in fourth quarter revenue and profit on Tuesday, and hotel operator Hilton Worldwide Holdings expected to report an increase in fourth quarter profit. So that's what we're looking at next week as far as the earnings report is concerned. And uh, it again will be a busy week, but now we're beginning to uh, sort of fade down in earnings reports. 
Well, this week, some good news on the trade deficit. It narrowed sharply in November amid declines in imports of cell phones and petroleum products. The Commerce Department said on Wednesday the trade deficit dropped 11.5% to $49.3 billion. That coming after the trade gap had increased for five straight months. And the politically sensitive goods trade deficit with China fell to $37.9 billion in November, and that's down from $43.1 billion in October. I want to take some time today in the report also to talk about my all-time favorite commercial airplane for flying, I'm talking about the Boeing 747. What a magnificent airplane that was. And, of course, it's no longer being flown for passenger revenue by airlines here in the United States. But the 747 Jumbo Jet is getting a new life because now it has become a cargo carrier. UPS, for example, ordered 14 more 747-8 freighters in 2018, and that's a lifeline that helps ease doubts over the future of the jumbo, which now looks set to outlive its European competitor, the Airbus A380. Talk that manufacturing of that will probably come to an end soon. There are some commercial airlines that are still flying the Boeing 747, but they are all overseas carriers, Lufthansa, Korean Air, and Air China. And uh, that's where the 747 still lives as far as passenger service is concerned. But the airplane always visible with that hump, Toward the front of the airplane, it was a two-story plane at that point. And uh, every time I took off in that airplane, I just looked at the ground as we left it and thought, how can anything this big get off the ground? But it always did, and it was always enjoyable flying. So, again, a reminder that uh, Monday the markets will be closed for the observance of President's Day here in the United States, and they'll resume trading for normal hours on Tuesday. Well, we're going to check in with uh, the man that we talked to for news from South America. Dr. Michael Cordonier will be sitting down with Max Armstrong when we continue here on The Markets. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. We're pleased to have the Soybean and Corn Advisor with us this weekend. Mike Cordonier, welcome to the studio, sir. It's always my pleasure, Max. This time of year, we watch uh, your advisories closely, and we listen to what you have to say because you watch South America so intently. How does this season differ 
In terms of watching the crop down there, uh, how does it differ from all the others that you followed over the years? Well, this has not been a typical summer in Brazil. You know, they started off really fast, record fast planting. October was good. November was really good. Uh, everybody's estimates were going sky high, and then the weather turned bad. So end of November, the rain started to taper off. Uh, basically, no rain at all in December, which is very unusual. And now almost every state in Brazil has lower yields compared to last year. Uh, very long periods of dry weather just really hit the early maturing soybeans when they were filling pods. To give an example, my high water mark for Brazil soybean production was 123 million tons. 123. Then compared to what last year? 119. But when I was 123, some people were 130. Everybody was really enthusiastic about the crop. Well, now I'm down to 113, and there's some people down to close to 110. So we had lots of enthusiasm early, but the weather did not cooperate. And now everybody's talking about disappointing yields, lots of variability. So it's going to be way down compared to last year. Now, for several weeks, you've been revising down your estimate for the Brazilian bean crop. I mean, week after week, it seems like I've noticed uh, in your letter that you've taken off another million metric tons each week. Yeah, I always assume the weather's going to be normal, you know, past a week out or so. But the uh, forecast always kept calling for rain, and the rain never quite materialized as much as what they thought. So it keeps going down. Uh, I have a negative bias, so I think it might go lower still. In fact, the Soybean and Corn Producers Association of Brazil just last week uh, dropped their estimate down to 101. That's the lowest one out there. So it's really been going down fast. Now, I was going to ask you that. What is the possibility? Because it, it seems like that 100 million metric ton number is a magic number out there in the minds of some. And if you drop below that... There's real potential for a lift in prices. What, what's your gut feeling about the, the ability to take it that low? Uh, I'm not there right now. Now, there is some rain in Brazil. In fact, this week is probably going to be the best rains for a while in central Brazil. Now, if it returns dry again for the next couple of weeks, then the medium maturity, late maturity soybeans will be hit hard as well. So I'm not quite that low now. Could we get that low? Sure. Uh, it just kind of depends uh, how the weather plays out here for the last half of the rainy season. My concern is that if the second half of the rainy season is as bad as the first half, uh, we're all going to go lower in our estimates. The crop, there, there's some that will not be improved by rain at this point. I mean, it's too late for some of it, correct? No, I'll give you an idea. Uh, we're probably about 30% harvested right now in Brazil, which means at least 50% of the crop's turning yellow. And once the beans turn yellow, you can't help them yield-wise. So only half of the crop could be helped going forwards. And that depends if you get the rain or not. So, no, my number's never going to go up you know, going forwards. And lest we forget, they've had one good crop after another in, in many of those areas down there. Didn't I read you to say that it, this was, the what, the first time in eight years that the crop in Paraná will be lower than the year before? Uh, correct. Uh, they had seven good years in a row. Uh, Paraná is the second biggest producer of soybeans in Brazil. So, But unfortunately, this year, that's where the weather was the driest. Uh, so they had some terrible yields there. So this is the first time in eight years. So they've been on a roll here lately. And acreage overall was up significantly this year, was it not? I think it's up maybe 2% compared to the prior year. Now, CONAB, the Brazilian you know, USDA equivalent, will be out with a new estimate next week. Uh, we'll see what they say about the acreage. But more importantly, they'll have the first estimate of the safrinha corn uh, in Brazil next week. 
before we get to talking about the corn a little bit, how, how does CONAB do? I mean, you've watched them for, for years. How, how are their numbers? They are the official Brazilian number, of course. How do they track in, in terms of your estimates? Uh, I think they do pretty good. Uh, they do a very, very thorough report. Their monthly report is 150 pages long. You're kidding. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Is that because they have so many field survey points or what? Well, no, they talk about rural credit, they talk about prices, they talk about exports, they talk about uh, financial things, they talk about the weather. It's really, really, it's too much, really. Uh, they do very good. Uh, they're maybe not as good as USGA, but I can't fault them, and here's why. USGA can send out people to do surveys in our summertime because the crop is generally about the same stage all over the country. That's not the case at all in Brazil. There's no one month you can go to Brazil and take a field survey because there's some corn already harvested, other corn being planted. Some beans are maturing, other beans are still vegetative. So you can't go out in the field and do a complete survey. It's just not possible. The geography makes it difficult to do that oh, kind yes. of a survey? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, spread out over such an area. Oh, yeah. It's spread out over 2,000 miles north and south and 1,000 miles east and west. And in Monte Grosso, they plant the soybeans very early, you know, September 15th. But in Rio Grande do Sul, southern Brazil, they won't plant until maybe December. So some beans are maturing and harvesting. They were harvesting beans in Monte Grosso before Christmas. And they were still planting in Rio Grande do Sul. So the geography really spreads out the maturity. That's a Freenia corn crop. How does it appear? I think the area is going to go up a little bit, but there's getting to be more and more reports. People worried about dry weather. So in the areas where it was dry for the soybeans, it's also dry soil moisture for the corn. Now, there's still plenty of time to plant. Uh, the window doesn't close until like the end of February. And they're planting at a record fast pace, double the normal pace, because the soybeans are record fast. So there's still plenty of time. Uh, like my concern is if the second half of the rainy season isn't very good, that suffering your corn could have a problem. Right now, everybody's just sort of waiting to see what the acreage will be. And Conab will give us their first estimate next week. Uh, USDA, of course, do the shutdown. We haven't heard anything from them lately. So we'll see what they say as well about that crop. As we take a look at Argentina, you dropped your estimate there earlier in the season, did you not, on the soybean crop? Argentina's complicated. Uh, they had dry weather to start. Then had very heavy rains, no flooding rains, but in a narrow band. So they lost about 300 to 500,000 hectares of soybeans that were either not planted or flooded out. But outside of that flooded area, the crop was doing pretty good. So I did lower my Argentine soybeans a little bit because of the acreage is down from what we thought. And on the corn side of Argentina, I just raised my corn estimate in Argentina. Uh, there's going to be some 220 bushel corn in Argentina. <laughs> the early planted crop that was not in the saturated areas is going to do very, very well. So Argentina is sort of a, a mixed bag. Um, they're getting a little bit drier now, which is a good thing for Argentina. Yeah, lest we forget, late in the season, things can still fall apart down there, as, as we saw a couple of years ago with excessive rains. Well, a couple of years ago, April was terrible in Argentina. It just rained and never stopped. It had 20, 30 inches of rain, flooded out a lot of areas. You know, in that area of Argentina, is as flat as a table. The soil holds water very well, which is good when it's dry, but it's bad when it rains. So when you get a big, heavy rain in Argentina, there's no place for the water to run. It's very flat. It takes a long time to drain. So their problem, and last year was a drought. Two years ago was a flood, so they just can't quite get a good year in a row. 
Do you sense that they'll be doing any field tile work down there? Are they? Have you seen any of that? I mean, obviously, that's been an answer for drainage challenges for many of our growers in the heart of the Corn Belt. Is that being done in Argentina? Not as much as U.S., but they are doing some. Uh, So not as much as the U.S. While we're talking about structures, and it's probably a good time to talk about infrastructure, they have aggressive plans in Brazil. And what's your gut feeling about the ability to make that happen? Well, they're slowly making it happen. And a couple of things I think are most important, uh, Highway 163, which goes from northern Mato Grosso straight north to the Amazon. Now, two years in a row, in February, there is about a 40-mile stretch that's not asphalted. But it's in a hilly area. The trucks can't get up the hill. Big, long you know, traffic jams. The, no pictures, the pictures have been ugly. I, we've uh, seen. Well, the situation has been ugly. Uh, it's like 20-mile-long traffic jams. Truckers Slipping waiting at and their sliding all over the place in the video clips. Yeah. Now, the government was very embarrassed about this. And they have a new program this year uh, in the unasphalted area. They positioned uh, three sets of uh, teams with equipment and trucks and road graders and everything to try to prevent this problem. Now, the new administration, which just took office in January, swears they will get it all asphalted this year. So hopefully that will all be resolved. But more long-term, I think a bigger thing is a railroad. Straight from Monte Grosso, straight north to the Amazon. It's going to parallel this highway. Uh, it goes out for bids this year, hopefully. And it's going to take 7 to 10 years to finish the railroad. So eventually, uh, more and more of the grain in Brazil will head north to the Amazon. Single track? Single track. Uh, that's all they do in Brazil. <laughs> it's hard enough to build one track, much less two. Uh, I always thought that was kind of short-sighted. Uh, they got a railroad in southeast of Mato Grosso, and I was watching them build it, and they only put in a single track. Why don't you do a double track? And I was talking to the engineer who was out there looking at the construction one day, and he said, listen, it's hard enough to get the money for one track. We'll worry about two tracks later on. <laughs> so This has been the Achilles heel, though, for uh, for Brazilian agriculture, has it not? The transportation infrastructure, and, and if, I, if I'm not mistaken, they're getting their act together. Uh, slowly getting their act together. And let me expand upon this northern arc of ports. Uh, these are ports on the Amazon River and in the northern Atlantic coast of Brazil. Uh, right now, about 20 million tons of grain goes north, but give it five or 10 years, and it'll be 50 million tons going north. So eventually, half of Brazil's grain will go north instead of going south to the ports of Santos and Paranaguá. Now, the port of Paranaguá down in southern Brazil, they know there's competition coming. So they're in a big expansion project. You know, dredging the berths, putting in new berths, be able to handle 80,000-ton vessels instead of 60,000-ton vessels. So they're slowly getting their act together. And the expansion of grain is in the northern part of the country, and that's where the infrastructure is improving. Has there been Chinese investment, and is there likely to be Chinese investment in infrastructure there? Uh, yes, they have invested in some of the ports. Uh, they are one of the bidders for these highway projects and um, the railroad projects as well. One interesting thing, all the highways, as they improve the highways, they're turned into toll roads. Now, the farmers say, listen, I paid for this road in my taxes. Now I've got to pay for it in tolls. Sounds familiar. (laughs) And the tolls are really steep. Uh, Just the tolls alone from, say, central Mato Grosso to southern Brazil to a port is about 90 cents a bushel in tolls. (laughs) My, my. And then you get paid on top of that, you get paid about $2.40 $2.40 in freight. So it's expensive. So, yes, the infrastructure is improving, but it comes at a cost. 
The time goes quickly when you come to visit, and we always appreciate it, sir. Thanks for giving us an update. Nice to see you. Always my pleasure. Mike Cardonier, the Soybean and Corn Advisor. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. This coming week is... Well, the big week for wintertime farm shows. Normally, we hold farm shows during the summer months like Husker Harvest Days, Ohio Farm Science Review, and, of course, the Farm Progress Show. But in the wintertime, we hold the World Agricultural Expo in Tulare, California. That is an outdoor show. And... The Indoor Show, which is the National Farm Machinery Show and Championship Tractor Pull. Both of those events at the same time next week. The Louisville Show will get underway February 13th through the 16th. It'll end on the 16th with the Championship Tractor Pull Finals. And then the World Agricultural Expo at Tulare, California, gets underway February 12th and continues through February 14th. Interestingly enough, these two shows started just a year apart. This is the 53rd year for the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville. It's the 52nd year for the World Ag Expo. And over the years, I've had the opportunity to attend both of those shows, both fascinating, both interesting. No question that the championship tractor pull adds a lot of excitement to the Louisville show. And I'll never forget my first visit to uh, the World Agricultural Expo in Tulare. I would go up and down Exhibitor Row, and I'd have to stop and ask the exhibitors, what does that machine do? What's that used for? Because with the diversity of agriculture in California, uh, there was a need for a lot of different equipment, and all of that equipment was on display at the show. I'd never seen a tree shaker before, a machine that grasps the trunk of the almond tree or the pistachio tree or whatever, shakes it till the nuts fall off. I had never seen that before. Fascinating show. So I hope that a lot of you can make both of them, or at least one of them next week, Louisville show, where Max Armstrong will be appearing at the Case IH display. And then, of course, the World Ag Expo in Tulare, California. Meanwhile, this weekend, the National Outstanding Young Farmer Organization holding its annual gathering in the Quad Cities on the banks of the Mississippi. I've been a part of that show for nearly every year since 1965. Looking forward to being there again to greet a lot of former outstanding young farmers named over the years. And this year's class, there are 10 state finalists. And Saturday night, four of them will be selected as the nation's four outstanding young farmers 
for 2019. It's an event I really look forward to because it brings me together with old friends, and I always get to make some new friends. Probably one of the highlights for the four state winners, four national winners, will be a visit to Washington, D.C. on National Agriculture Day in March, where they'll visit the offices of their congressmen and senators during their time in Washington. Well, as I said, no trading on Monday, so when the markets open on Tuesday, where will we find prices? Well, here's where they ended on this Friday. March wheat up four and three quarter cents. It will start trading Tuesday, five dollars seventeen and a quarter cents a bushel. March corn ended down two and a quarter cents today. It'll start trading Tuesday at three seventy four and three and a quarter. And then soybeans, the March contract gained three and a quarter cents today, and it'll start Tuesday's trade at nine dollars fourteen and a half cents a bushel. Again, uh, there were not many major surprises in all the USDA estimates that were issued on this Friday by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Not many big surprises in those numbers today. Turning to livestock. The uh, April lean hog contract dropped a dollar twenty-two cents a hundredweight today. It'll start trading on Tuesday at fifty-eight dollars forty-two cents. February live cattle gained a dollar fifteen cents, and it'll start the week at one hundred twenty-seven dollars thirty-seven cents. And then the March feeder cattle contract gained a dollar and two cents today. It will start the week on Tuesday at $144.10 a hundredweight. As happens every week at this time, we're out of time. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson, and thank you for joining us on The Markets.